Welcome to the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast. I'm Sarah Hill, Associate Editor. What if you could do more in 2022? TerraSym by New Leaf Symbiotics utilizes the power of microbe technology to increase yield, improve nutrient uptake, and achieve stronger ROI, and is now available in convenient planter box application for corn and soybeans. To learn more and sign up for the 2022 risk-free satisfaction promise, visit newleafsim.com slash 2022. That's newleafsym.com backslash 2022. Today, I'd like to introduce CJ Blue, a grower from Castleton, Kansas. CJ will be giving us a sneak peek of his upcoming presentation at the 2021 Fall National Cover Crop Summit. Welcome to the podcast, CJ. Thank you, Sarah. It's a pleasure. So, to get us started, why don't you introduce yourself and give us a basic overview of your farming operation? Okay, now I'm uh, CJ Blue from from Castleton, Kansas. Uh, my brother uh, Russell and I are in a, a family partnership along with my my wife and three kids. Um, but uh, we are we have primarily a commercial cow calf operation, um, and we operate uh, mainly in two counties in Kansas, um, but have some land in a couple of others. So um, South Central Kansas, commercial cow calf have a spring calving cow herd. Um, we also have a, a pretty decent amount of of uh, crop acres. Um, to go along with our native grass that we traditionally back in, in time had uh, had used for um, your traditional grain, uh, cash grain crops. Um, over the last few years, we've been in the process of converting those over to um, more forage crops and uh, crops that we graze with the cattle. So I don't know what else I can add to that question, but I'll leave it at that. Sure. Well, um, how long have you and your brother been in partnership together? We've been a uh, blue partnership. We actually started in uh, 2013. Uh, being, he and I were operating together prior to that. Uh, so I've actually been um, farming and ranching since about 1997. Russell would have started in about 2000. So we went several years where we were in a, uh, you know, he and I were both operating together. We had some stuff alone um, and we did that along with my dad as well. And then when my dad got out of the operation, Russell and I kind of formalized the partnership and we were able to get everything to an even 50-50 and just uh, probably got a little little more professional in uh, our approach and, and um, how we split everything up, so... No, that's really important to uh, get all of that on the books, if you will, and get everything formalized. Yes. So um, how many acres total do you and your brother manage then? It would be a little over 26,000. So then um, do you just graze the cattle or do you also grow uh, row crops? We, we at this time we don't do any row crops. I guess last year we actually had one circle of soybeans, but that was it. So yes, everything is utilized for the cattle. Now we do some. I mean, if we do harvest anything, it's going to generally be a harvested forage that we will feed. Um, but we we you know we do a limited amount of feeding. Um, you know, the majority of this stuff that we utilize, we're going to utilize with the cattle. 
and we're going to make them graze it. So, so um, let's talk a little bit about the cattle. How many head are in the herd and what's, what species or what breed are they? This spring we bred a little over 1700 females. Um, there, we like the red Angus cow. So our cattle are our red Angus cattle. We retain ownership, you know, the spring calving herd, we retain ownership on, on those cattle all the way through the feeding phase, collect individual data on those. We're really data driven program, <clears throat> try and make management decisions based off of, you know, what cattle are going to make us the most money. So we put a lot of focus on in product merit and things like that. Um, we also have a great opportunity where we're working with um, two or three seed stock providers of ours um, and, and kind of a partnership more or less where we're doing progeny testing for them. So um, we're able to access some pretty unique and, and cutting edge genetics that way. Um, and we do that through AI. So we AI everything one time and then use cleanup bulls after that. But so essentially that's in a nutshell, that's what the cattle are, but we would have, you know, not only those cows <clears throat> that you normally would, you know, if you think about the, the cycle of a cow, you know, when we take those cows from, from calving to, you know, to going through the, where she's growing her calf and then weaning. And then when she goes through her dry period at the same time, you know, we're, we're going to background those calves. They're going to stay here. They're going to go on to cover crops as well. Uh, we actually will graze those, um, those calves. They'll go on to grass and they don't go into the feed yard until about midsummer. So uh, there's, we, we have, we have not only the kind of the cow calf enterprise, but we've got a stalker portion of it. And then some, you know, some feeding aspect. And then obviously they go into professional yard and we retain ownership on those. So. So let's talk a little bit more about the cover crops specifically. How long have you all been using cover crops and what was your motivation to start using covers? We've been doing cover crops <clears throat> before we really even knew what cover crops were. So I'll back clear up to when we were doing a fair bit of, uh, of um, row crops. Um, we started flying turnips on into our standing corn on irrigated corn. Um, and we did it just, just to add forage and I'll, and add good forage so that we didn't have to supplement any protein when we had cows on corn stalks. So we started doing that a long time ago. And at, at the time we were doing uh, sort of, you know, kind of conventional tillage or minimum till at the time we transitioned to no till and strip till over a period of time. Then we went to hundred percent no till. And then we really got um, a little more serious about the cover crops. Um, I would say back in like 2003, uh, started doing more cover crops as, as uh, things progressed and, and everyone's well aware of when in the, you know, the, glyphosate resistant Palmer Amaranth kind of hit and it worked its way kind of from south to north but when it got to Kansas we were already had already done quite a bit of cover crop uh, with cover crops um, primarily a you know a cereal grain fall seeded cereal grain so we were already using some rye but it was interesting we were able to get around the issues that we had with Palmer Amaranth by definitely planting our soybeans into cereal rye and what was really cool is we were able to graze that in the fall and then into the spring some and then we were you know we were planting our soybeans into into green rye you know the longer we went the later we waited to terminate it as i mean it seemed like that was 
the further down the path we went, I guess, on our cover crop experience, the longer we waited to terminate. So that's kind of how we got started with the cover crops. Fast forward a little bit. Um, and what we realized was that, you know, our, our cattle were definitely an important part of the equation. Um, but uh, you let commodity prices come down a little bit and just kind of start doing the math on where we were at. Um, we realized that what we were actually making money on was the cattle out there grazing. You can eliminate harvest costs and eliminate a whole whole lot of other things. And so that's the path that we're, we went down. And so over the last three or four years, that's what we've been doing. And it's been, it's been working well for us. Uh, so I would, to, to answer your question, um, economics have, have driven it more than anything. And I think we just are really fortunate that we have a whole lot of ancillary benefits that come along with it from a soil health perspective and just thinking about kind of regenerative ag and that kind of thing. Those are, those happen to be side benefits for us, but the economic really is what drove it. So. What have been your goals for using cover crops? Obviously having a source of forage for the cattle is a big one, but you also mentioned soil health. What um, are there certain aspects of soil health that you've really been using the cover crops to target? Not necessarily. I, you know, I'd love to tell you that, yeah, that's, you know, that's, we have something figured out in the soil health deal and, and we're using this or that to accomplish it. And I'm going to say, no, not necessarily. I mean, we're, we're growing cover crops to, to, to get forage. You know, the longer we do this, like a lot of others, the more diversity we're putting out there. We've seen benefits of having diversity. What we've experienced is, when we get into soil health and start thinking about the impact we can have on the speed at which we kind of improve soil health, the, the cattle are just as such an important part of that cycle. It sounds really simple and you, you know, we should have probably thought of this long ago, but the land we're working with had evolved over eons of time with um, an, e- an ecosystem out there that had grazing uh, animals, and foraging animals on it. And, and the closer we can get to that, the closer we can mimic that, um, the better I think we are. And I think we, we will start to regenerate and have because of that. But um, doesn't exa- it doesn't exactly answer your question, but, but that's kind of where we're at today, so. Fair enough. Getting into a little more of the nitty gritty, uh, talk a little bit about what cover crop species you use and when during the growing season you seed them. We've got a couple different rotations that we're using. Um, um, I, I'll start out with kind of a summer annual blend that we use. And so that's going to be a, a pearl millet, um, uh, a brown top millet, a sorghum sedan uh, that would get our grasses. We've also got quite a few legumes in there that I'm probably going to forget. We've also got a sunflower in there um, and a couple of other things. Legume wise in that blend, we've used um, gar. Uh, we've used uh, uh, forage soybeans. Um, we've used mung beans. Anyway, we're going to have a pretty good, nice, diverse grass in there if we can between, you know, three or four different species and then, uh, you know, the same on legume side. Um, but we'll plant that stuff usually first to the middle part of June. Traditionally, what we've done with that is we've let that go dormant. And so we've let, we've let the freeze go ahead and kill that down. And then we'll strip graze that um, through the fall and winter months, all the way up until uh, February or March. At that point in time in February or March, 
we'll go plant a um, a spring oat, spring triticale, and a uh, a pea blend, spring pea blend um, that we traditionally would we would that's some of the the forage that we would harvest. So that would get ensiled and put into a bag um, about May or June timeframe, and then we'd go back and put our summer annual out there. Another uh, kind of rotation that we have and some other things that we've uh, done lately um, is we've actually gone in to that, that, stunt, that standing summer annual cover crop um, and we do it early in the fall, uh, but we'll actually interseed um, a winter cereal in there. And so we're beginning to do more and more of that. Um, that works better, obviously, on the irrigated ground than it does dry land for us. We like what we're seeing out of that, and partly because um, if we can get any kind of growth to that winter cereal, then obviously we don't have to supplement much for protein whenever we're out there strip grazing that when that, you know, that that summer annual is at a pretty low protein content and from a forage quality standpoint is not all that great. And so having that winter cereal in there really helps with that. And then the other thing that we've noticed is that we're also, um, we can get quite a bit of, quite a bit more yield out of our harvested forage. Um, and not all that gets harvested. So we kind of are able to move that around. We don't like pulling forage off from the same spot every year, um, but we can get actually get more yield out of that fall seeded winter cereal than we do the stuff that's seeded in the spring. So that's in a nutshell, kind of what our rotation is. And, and we tweak that from time to time and we're always experimenting with something new, but that's, that's what we're doing with most of it, Sarah. We'll be right back to the podcast, but first I want to thank our sponsor. What if you could do more in 2022? TerraSim by New Leaf Symbiotics utilizes the power of microbe technology to increase yield, improve nutrient uptake, and achieve stronger ROI, and is now available in convenient planter box application for corn and soybeans. To learn more and sign up for the 2022 risk-free satisfaction promise, visit newleafsim.com slash 2022. That's newleafsym.com backslash 2022. And now back to the podcast. So where do you source your cover crop seed from? Do you work with a certain company or how do you get your seed? We have two places and we're, we don't have to go far for it. We're fortunate with that. MKC or Mid-Kansas Co-op uh, based out of Mound Ridge has got a really nice seed plant at Groveland, which is um, be about 35 miles from us. Um, and that would be where we get the majority of our seed from. We also work some with Kaufman Seeds uh, over here at Haven, Kansas. So those two companies are who we work with primarily. Okay. So then when you go to seed all of these different uh, mixes, what method are you using? Are you interseeding? Are you flying them on? How do you go about getting that seed where it needs to be? So we, we're no-till, obviously, and we do some interseeding into, into like a standing, um, you know, like our summer annual crop, like I talked about, we will actually interseed in some of that. But uh, we've got a, a case air seeder, case IH air seeder um, that we've used a lot, has a lot of acres on it, but we continue to use it. And that's, that's primarily, that's our main seeding tool that we use on everything. So 
Okay. And then what seeding rate do you prefer for some of those mixes? It's going to be all over the board. Uh, so <clears throat> it just varies. Sarah, depends on, um, you know, it kind of depends on what the blend is and what we've tweaked, you know, on that summer annual stuff, we're going to be, you know, we're going to be putting in the high twenties to low 30 pounds to the acre on on our, you know, on that uh, winter cereal or, or even that spring seeded cereal blend, uh, that's gonna be higher. That'll be in the 80 to 90 pound range, something like that. When I mean that we, you know, we tweak this, it, it, and, and I, I actually think that's a good thing. I don't think we wanna do the same thing year after year. That's part of getting the diversity out there. And, and when we think about soil health and everything else that we're trying to accomplish, we don't want to do the same thing every year. So when I say we're always tweaking this, literally, I, you know, I don't think we've planted the same blend every year. Um, and part of that's just because we're trying new stuff. And part of it's just because we, you know, we don't want to plant the same thing every year. So when you were talking about cover crop species and, and the mixes, you mentioned a lot of different uh, types of cover crops in those mixes. Why have you chosen to formulate those mixes the way that you have? Are there certain, um, are there certain species that have a certain job in the field or how does that work? Absolutely. They have, you know, have a job within the field or a goal that we have in mind if we're trying to produce forage or if we're trying to fix nitrogen, you know, using some radishes, if we're thinking about compaction, that kind of stuff. So absolutely every one of those species in that blend has, you know, we're putting it in there for a reason. Uh, but we've relied heavily on um, people that are a lot smarter than I am that have watched watched a lot of other people try these things to help kind of guide us on what we're going to plant and how much of it. So there's no uh, set guidebook when it comes to cover crops. And I think everyone that does cover crops can relate to that. There's a certain level of experimentation that comes along with it and just finding what's going to work for your situation. And um, so absolutely everything has a job. I, I can, you know, I can kind of give you an example of, you know, when we first started with summer annuals, we were, you know, the, the mix was heavy on the sorghum sedan side. I can tell you that we continue to push the, the brown top millet. It's been really good for us. It remains really palatable. Um, it, it, it doesn't weather real well. So if you, if you get later into the season, you're going to start to see it disappear. Um, but it really does stockpile nicely for us when we do our strip grazing. If you look at it visually, you may think that there's fewer tons out there than that stuff that is, you know, eight foot high. Um, but we've actually clipped and measured and weighed and we've, you know, we actually have just as much or more um, pounds of forage out there than we do with that really tall stuff. And it's, it actually is more palatable and, and, and more usable. I would tell you the other thing that we've experienced was um, just the difference in strip grazing versus, you know, letting cattle have a whole quarter or a whole 80 or something like that. Um, but we, we typically set those strips up depending on how many cattle are there, but calculate how many cow, you know, cow days an acre or how much forage is out there. And we try and set those strips up to where we've got three to seven days worth of feed out there. Um, the more frequent we move those cattle, the more efficient we utilize the forage. And so what I can tell you is, is that we went from uh, 60 to 90 cow days an acre when we would just turn everybody onto a full field um, to 150 to 180 cow days an acre is what we're getting out of this summer annual forage now. And yes, we've tweaked the blend over time, but 
Um, it's more from how we've managed that uh, when we strip graze it versus just letting them have the whole field. So, so you mentioned that you're always looking for something new to include in the crop rotations. What are some of those new cover crop species that you are considering and, and why are you looking at those species? Well, I can tell you a new one that I'd never heard of was, uh, was gar, um, a legume that we put in uh, this year. And one of the reasons that I want to try it and why we use it is that we think that it's, it, will, it will stockpile and hold up really well going into the winter. And so on the summer annual blend, we, that was a legume that we included that, you know, had not been in there in the past. Over the years, we had used sunflowers off and on. I, I can tell you that next year we're going to increase the seeding rate on the sunflowers that we had in that blend. The, I, I, the other thing that we're doing a lot of that I, that I haven't, you know, I failed to mention up until this point would be um, perennials. So I can tell you that we're really liking um, some of the perennial grass blends that we've planted that, um, you know, we don't have to go plant every year, obviously. And when we do that, primarily what we're doing with those would be a cool season blend of perennials. Do you have a, a fescue in there? We've got two bromes. We've got orchard grass, uh, pubescent wheat grass. And then we're also adding um, some clover and alfalfa in there in that blend. Um, but what's really nice about that is, again, is that we don't have to plant that. It's an offset to our warm season grasses that we're grazing. Um, and we manage that much like we do everything else. We stockpile it, we rest it. So um, do you all apply any fertilizer to your cover crops to help boost their growth and fertility? Yeah, um, some. So what's been interesting is we've transitioned as, as we've gone from, you know, removing grain to kind of harvesting it with the cattle significantly reduced our P and K needs. Um, the more legumes we have obviously in the mix, the less nitrogen we're gonna use, but we still are using nitrogen. Um, we still actually grid sample everything. So we still um, believe in variable rate and putting the right product on the right acre when we, when we do something. But we've, that's kind of been our, you know, our, our motto or, the, or what the reason we've shifted to, to, to where we shifted to is we've been able to significantly reduce our inputs. So a lot less herbicide than we used to use, um, virtually eliminated our, our P and K needs, not completely. And then we've taken our nitrogen down significantly. So we are still fertilizing, um, but a lot less than what we would have when we were still throwing a cash crop in there um, every now and then. Sure. So then how do you go about applying that fertilizer when, when the time calls that you need it? Well, so we'll either um, apply some of that as a starter through the drill or, um, you know, we've got, you know, we'll have them come variable rate that with generally with a, um, with an air rig or something like that. Um, sometimes if we're going to do a burn down or something, we may, and we need some nitrogen, we may put some liquid on there. When we do, um, get nitrogen on top of the ground like that, obviously, because we're not, we're not going to go incorporate it. Um, but we're also big believers in, in, uh, agritain stuff like that to try and, you know, urease inhibitors to try and keep that from uh, volatilizing that kind of thing. So you mentioned earlier that you have the cattle in graze in strips. Is that kind of like paddocks or, I guess, explain a little bit more how you set up 
those areas for the cattle to graze and how you determine how big they are. It's, it's a lot like um, paddocks, you know, and it, essentially it's what you're doing with it. But where um, when, when we talk about strip grazing, it's probably the lingo we just use around here. But generally what that means is, is we're going to let them walk back onto the paddock that they had come off of. So we're essentially we're not going to back fence or keep them from walking back on to what they've already been on. And and so with this summer annual stuff, it's dormant anyway. Um, we're not worried about them going back. You know, we're not, it's not in the growing season. We're not worried about resting the paddock or the, you know, the strip they just come from. And so when we start a field, we can start a field um, at the water basically. And as they get done with a strip, then we just let them have another strip and let them walk back onto what they were just on. They walk back to water. Um, and by the time you're done with the field, you've worked completely across it. And the whole time the cattle have had access to, you know, the strip they were previously on. We do that with electric fence, obviously. Um, we use some, some poly wire. We still use a lot of galvanized wire as well. But as far as, you know, calculating or figuring out what size we're going to make those strips, it really depends on um, how many cattle you've got to graze, um, the size of the cattle, and then your estimation. And it literally is an estimation of, of how many pounds of forage you have out there. And so it's, it's, there's kind of an art to, um, for the way we do it anyway, we're not real sophisticated, but there's an art to go out there and, and even just say, well, you know, that looks to me like we've got about 120 cow days an acre or 150 cow days an acre or 180 cow days an acre or whatever that might be on that. And then we calculate, you know, how many acres that is for the herd size that we're grazing. And that's the size of the strip we make. Um, and then obviously you watch it, you see how many days it lasts the cattle, if you were short or if you were long, and then you adjust accordingly. So it's very adaptive. Um, same way on our native range. I mean, we practice adaptive grazing. There's nothing that's set in stone. It's not going to rain the same amount every year. Um, you're going to have different things happen every year. Um, you're going to have rain when you don't want it. Sometimes on this stockpiled stuff, um, on this summer annual blend, if you turn into a new paddock and it rains that night, you're going to waste a lot of that forage. You're going to have to move those cattle earlier than what you thought because they've, they've taken a lot of that forage and they put it onto the ground. And sometimes um, you may waste that whole, that whole paddock's worth. So very adaptive, but, but in a nutshell, that's, that's kind of how we manage that strip grazing part. Everything we have gets rotated, uh, especially during the growing season. Um, big believers, and especially on native grass and even these improved perennial grasses, the higher stocking density that we can get and, the, and increase the frequency of the moves, um, the better off we are. Fantastic. Well, CJ, that's all the time that we have for today. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Sarah. Once again, I want to thank our sponsor. What if you could do more in 2022? TerraSim by New Leaf Symbiotics utilizes the power of microbe technology to increase yield, improve nutrient uptake, and achieve stronger ROI, and is now available in convenient planter box application for corn and soybeans. To learn more and sign up for the 2022 risk-free satisfaction promise, visit newleafsim.com slash 2022. That's newleafsym.com 
facebook.com backslash 2022. Join us for the Fall 2021 National Cover Crop Summit from November 16th and 17th for two days of convenient online cover crop learning. It's absolutely free for you to sign up, but listeners of this podcast are invited to save 50% on all access registration for VIP benefits. With this exclusive discount, you can pay just $25 for access to a campus lineup of on-demand learning sessions featuring today's most successful cover crop adopters, researchers, and agronomists, sharing their best seeding strategies, grazing and feeding tips, variety selection secrets, and more. Visit CoverCropStrategies.com slash summit and discount code PODCAST25 at checkout. For more information about all things cover crops, visit us online at CoverCropStrategies.com. Music